This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Well, the headline reads, he promised riches and entry to Canada. Now he's the subject of a fraud case in Vancouver. And this is an article in the New York Times. And writer Dan Levin is joining us on the line now. He has been working on this story. He's published this story this past week. Dan, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, This is a a case that kind of reads like a Hollywood script, or you could make a movie from it with all the twists and turns. Uh, Maybe back up a bit and tell us a bit how you even uh, how you how you came to know about this and how that led you to research and write about it. Sure. So I covered Canada, and uh, last year had written an article about uh, rich young Chinese immigrants and their Lamborghinis, Ferraris, and other supercars. Had met Mr. Oi. Uh, Paul Oy at a um, Lamborghini dealership reception where all these kind of uh, Chinese socialites were attending. Um, and so I had known about him. Mr. Oy is, uh, is a prominent socialite philanthropist and immigration consultant in Vancouver. And uh, a few months later, the British Columbia, uh, Columbia Securities Commission um, had made these allegations that he had uh, perpetuated a fraudulent scheme against dozens, dozens, and dozens of investors, essentially uh, asking them to invest in a Metro Vancouver recycling company. Uh, but it seems that he kept about $7 million uh, that was supposed to be forwarded onto that company, and he used it for himself. So when you met Mr. Oy at this reception at the Lamborghini dealership, did you have any idea at that point that you would be writing about him? No, no. This was this was long before the allegations by the commission had been uh, made. And uh, I've read the piece. So, and you have reached out, um, and but you've not been able to speak with him or, or talk to him since. No, no. He refused to uh, to speak with me. Uh, I made multiple requests, and it was not something that he felt necessary to do. Um, so I was not able to talk to him. Uh, but you know then, uh, through his lawyer, I think, uh, that uh, he's he's denying the accusations. So what, what he's uh, being accused of right now, he's saying that he hasn't done this. Right. So uh, during the commission hearing, his lawyer denied that he had, uh, that he had kept the money for himself. Um, but there was a whole series of investors came and talked about how much money had invested in this project. You know, we're talking about millions of dollars. Commission, having looked at the evidence, had made those allegations. And in fact, one of the investors that you talk about who actually was so uh, taken by this project and so interested in it went back to China, got other investors. He has subsequently been sued. Right. He's been sued by the other investors in China. Uh, because he was the one who who formed that concern, and uh, so he he's also filed a lawsuit against Troy in British Columbia to recoup their investment. Uh, but what's really interesting, I think, about this whole uh, case was that it really kind of opens a window into how the British Columbia government has been able to, or rather, not able to, um, in some ways, protect investors from anywhere, uh, especially those in British Columbia. So the commission um, in the last several years uh, has collected, I believe, um, it was less than 5% of 
of, uh, of, of fines that is, other financial penalties it had issued since 1995. And uh, there was actually a Vancouver Sun story from the day that found that the commission had been able to collect less than 2% of something like $500 million in fines. And you have all these fraudsters who are able to keep their money. Um, and the, the victims have not been able to get their money back. And uh, there does seem to be, at this point, the ability by the, uh, by the Ministry of Finance, or maybe it's a political will, to really go after those fraudsters and, and get those, um, those, those, those ill-gotten gains back to their investors. Uh, exactly, and that's the uh, the Gordon Hoekstra story. And we actually spoke with Gordon Hoekstra uh, about an hour ago on this program about uh, that exact issue. Uh, we talk about the government as well, and there's a link in your story to donations, and not to suggest that uh, the government knew or has any information, but Mr. Oy was, did make several donations to the B.C. Liberal Party. Oh, yeah, tens of thousands of dollars to the B.C. Liberal Party um, uh they were uh, while it was a, a liberal government. Um, you know, he would boast of his ties to Christopher and other members of that government. Um, use that to convince these investors that it's a safe bet. Right? He would tell them that the project was supported by the government. Uh, you know, he would he would boast of those ties to say that basically nothing could go wrong. And it's, it's one thing in the Canadian context to say that it's, you know, backed by the government. But when you're talking to overseas Chinese investors, their sense of what that means is that, uh, you know, this is approved and backed by officials and that there's no way that this could go wrong. It's, it's not the same as in, say, North America, right? Because we don't have, like, say, state-backed, um, you know, private projects, right? This is a private company. But to them... They thought, wow, like he's got the, pers- the, the personal political connections, and so we're good to go. And from what you gather from looking at that and looking at the tens of thousands of dollars that he's, he donated to the B.C. Liberal Party, uh, was it, did he do that then so he could, he could bolster his, his argument or, or, or make it look as though he was a, an insider or he was very close to the party? <clears throat> or do you think there actually was a connection there? You know, I don't know. I mean, I haven't been able to talk to him. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not really sure what his motive was in terms of those donations. Uh, he also has donated to the Federal Liberal Party as well. Um, I mean, a man who had a lot of money and was quite prompt. Um, certainly, he was able to use those uh, connections that he made from attending, um, you know, pr- private campaign funding centers. Um, to his benefit when it came to his businesses. Uh, your, the, um, the story also talks about uh, Joe Pescasolito and uh, his involvement in this, or at least uh, Mr. Oy saying that uh, he, was, he was involved in this. Was that also, do you think, used as a bit of a chip in to, to let people know, oh, there's also uh, this federal politician who is on board with the project? I don't know. Um, you know, you'd have to ask Mr. Oi. But certainly, uh, he did tell investors they didn't need to sign contracts. Uh, or there was no problem because you can trust, you can trust me. I am connected to uh, this, this federal politician, the lawyer. We can put it in his bank account, your, your money in his bank account. Everything will be fine.
Uh, do you know, uh, where is Mr. Oi now? Is he still in Vancouver? Yeah, he, to my understanding, is in Vancouver. He's still, um, still attending various functions, and I believe, yeah, I mean, he was not arrested. This is not a criminal case. But yeah, he's, he's free at this point. And is there anything, have you heard from his lawyer, or has there been any backlash or any um, anything in uh, the article that uh, that he doesn't like, or have you have you heard about that? Nope, haven't heard anything. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, I had reached out and asked to speak with him and, and had some questions, and they, they don't want to uh, put me in touch with him. Uh, do you think, too, this this is one case looking at that, and like you said, Gordon Hoekstra also wrote uh, in his uh, article came out yesterday about the lack of, of uh, pulling in the fines. People are being fined millions of dollars. They're not being collected. Uh, does this show uh, the, the, the kind of, I'm loath to use the, world, the term Wild West because we tend to use it so much, but does it show kind of a, a huge gap in in what people, what the rules are and what people can get away with? I mean, when I when I read that really amazing story yesterday, uh, I thought I thought it really opened uh, an even bigger window into the systemic issue. Here. I mean, you have fraudsters, you have people who are defrauding investors of money um, and and destroying people's lives financially, and um, the government doesn't seem to be able to collect those fines, um, which is having a real impact on local people and investors from all over the world. Uh, and so, I think that's a question for the government, for the Ministry of Finance. To, uh, to answer this question of why is it seems so little being done. Keep in mind that the members of the commission, of the British Columbia Security Commission, uh, many of them make lots, lots and lots of money. Some of the highest, uh, some of the highest members of the commission are making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So then the question is, well, what are they actually doing? Because it doesn't seem like, certainly in many cases, um, the, the people, the, the investors who've been defrauded are being protected. And that would seem to underscore uh, criticism um, by experts that say that um, that and also British Columbia really doesn't take financial crime seriously. And so I think one has to ask the government, what, how do they respond to that? What are they going to do to remedy this situation? All right, Dan, we'll leave it there. But thank you so much. A very interesting article. And thanks so much for coming on the show to talk about it today. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.